everybody. Um, so excited to be here tonight. Thank you all also for coming and not going home today so that you can hear what the Lord has to say through me. Um, for anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Julia Johnson. I'm on staff, uh, the staff team here at JMU Chi Alpha. Um, my husband and I moved here three years ago. <laughs> I have one of those. Hunter Johnson, the best one out there. So anyways, we moved here to Harrisonburg about three years ago. And shortly after we moved here to Harrisonburg, we were like, hey, let's start thinking about maybe buying a house. And it was such a fun process, right? So wild. We knew that we'd be here in Harrisonburg for at least five years, and so we said, you know what, let's start this process. And as we started thinking about it, we just became more and more excited about this possibility of like owning a home. Um, we had been married for about a year when we first moved here, and um, we're now we're looking at like buying a house, and it was just so wild. Like owning a house in our early 20s just seemed so exciting, right? And so what we didn't realize was that for about two and a half years, we wouldn't find anything and it was going to be really disappointing <laughs> um, and so we went on house tours and either the house was like too much of a fixer-upper and we just didn't have any time for that um, or it just wasn't like necessarily what we wanted whether just like I don't know, spatially or financially. Um, and so even a couple we saw and went through and we really loved them and so we put offers on them but our offers weren't getting chosen and we just seemed to get nowhere. Um, and I, I was like, I got to a point where I was kind of frustrated. I was just like, I, was, I went from being so excited and this possibility was so fun and exciting and then I was just like, you know what, this is never gonna happen. We're not gonna own a home in Harrisonburg, it's fine. Um, but have you guys ever been there where you've made plans and you've been so excited about them just to have them not work out? Yeah, we've all been there just to have them fail or maybe even just not be as great as you anticipated. Were you so excited and then you're just like, this isn't what I hoped for, right? And it reminds me a little bit of the passage that we'll read tonight. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 11. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can start turning there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and our friend Sam will get you one from the welcome table. Um, but yeah, feel free to slip up that hand if you don't have a Bible. Um, but we're going to be reading from Genesis 11 and we'll see this really big and wonderful plan that these people have seemingly turns to chaos. But it's actually an act of grace and kindness from the Lord, and it helps move the ball forward in God's redemptive story. We'll see that even though we might make plans um, that seem great and wonderful and so fun, ultimately, if it's not for the glory of God, none of it matters. Oof. I know. I'm like, stay tuned. Yeah, come on. Um, so we've been journeying through Genesis, and we've seen the origins of God's presence with humanity. We've seen the origins and initial consequences of, of sin. We've seen the first murder and how that affected and had consequences on Cain's bloodline. Um, 
And if you haven't been here the past few weeks, I encourage you, we have a podcast, go to our um, Insta bio, it's in our link tree. Um, there's some pretty solid sermons out there. And so last week, we saw how people were doing everything that they wanted. They did everything for themselves. Scripture tells us that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And so in grief and great sorrow, God floods the earth and humanity is saved through Noah's obedience. And his family, this remnant of humanity, becomes those that would fill the earth once again. And so once again, if you weren't here last week, it's a great sermon. Go check it out. But now we come to this passage. It is Genesis chapter 11. And we'll see how it's so much better to do things for God's glory versus our own glory. And so just some background for the passage that we'll be reading tonight. Um, We come to this place, this city called Babylon. And Babylon meant residence of the gods. And it was founded by Noah's great-grandson, Nimrod. Nimrod means we shall rebel. He was known as one who founded all of his empires on sheer aggression. He was very mighty and powerful. And he was known as one of the most powerful men alive. He founded all of northern Assyria, Mesopotamia, South Babylon, and one of the greatest cities in his time, Babylon. And Babylon was considered the center of the world. It was kind of a big deal, like everyone wanted to go to this city. And so we'll go ahead and read in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. If I can, like, keep my Bible open. (laughs) Um, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, another word for Babylonia or Babylon, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said to themselves, come, let's build ourselves a city with its hour that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so we see here that there's this people and there was a commonality or uniting of the people and that they had one language. They all spoke the same language. How wild would that be, right? Everyone speaking the same language, no language barriers. It would have been great. And so verse 2 tells us that people are still moving eastward. Ever since being expelled from the Garden of Eden, people have been moving eastward. They've been moving in the same direction. I'm just going to close that because that's just going to keep opening. Um, So the author of Genesis tells us that um, when Adam and Eve, they're expelled from the garden, they move eastward, and as civilization grows, Scripture tells us that they continue to move eastward. um, And for years and years before the flood, as civilization is growing, as people are filling the earth, they're continuing to move in the same direction. And so now, after the flood, as civilization is continuing and people are increasing on the earth once again and their cities and more civilizations, um, humanity continues to move eastward. So as these people find a place to settle, they build the city so that they don't get scattered. And this kind of checks out because, like, how many of you would want to be separated from your family or your closest friends, right? That doesn't sound fun. I would build a city for that, right? Come on, only Emily doesn't want that to happen. Let's go. <laughs> I'm with you, Emily. <laughs> um, so they didn't want to get scattered, so they build this city. And they set out to build a tower in the city, but not just any tower. They want to build a tower that would make a name for themselves. 
a tower that would reach to the heavens, that when people all around them came by and saw their tower, they'd be like, whoa, that is a cool tower. Like, that is the tallest one we've ever seen. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> oh, like this speaker? That's a big speaker tower. I don't know. Um, and so their hope is that they would build a name for themselves. And so not only is this a cool tower, but many scholars believe that this tower was called a ziggurat. You're like, what does that mean? Oh, what did you just say? A ziggurat. <laughs> a ziggurat is a tower that people would build. Oh, here's a ziggurat. In case you were wondering what it looked like, it's right there. It is, it, so it was, it was called a tower. Let me tell you, Paul, don't even worry. <laughs> it's a tower that people would build for the purpose of creating a way for the gods, little g gods, to come down to them, to visit them. So at the top of this tower, at the very top, there's kind of like a little building room thing. Um, at the top of this tower, there would be a room, or some might say an altar, um, for their god. So it would essentially be a house for an idol or even the many idols that a people would serve. And so there was this belief that if they built this tower, it would be easier for the God that they served to come down and to visit them. And so they would um, put their idol or idols up in this tower and they dress up the idols in very like fancy and ornate clothing and they would um, put like very expensive jewelry on their idols um, and they would offer it like food and fragrance um, in the hopes that their God would come down from heaven, be able to visit them and see, wow, this people really does worship me good enough, so I'm going to bless them. Right? It was in hopes to appease their God. And so their view of God, their view of the gods was that they needed these things to be worshipped. They needed these items or these things um, to be appeased and to hopefully bless the people. And so this people who settled in Shinar say, hey, let's build our own ziggurat, one that reaches towards the heavens, taller than anyone we've ever seen, and people will see it and we will be known as the people with the tallest ziggurat. We will be known as the coolest people, right? Like everyone will want to be us. And so the next slide has a picture of what the Tower of Babel would look like, right? It looks so much cooler than just your typical ziggurat, yeah? Those look a lot better and bigger. And it's so tall. It's all the way up in the clouds. It does kind of look like that. I don't know why oh, it's always like showed as leaning. Maybe it was. I don't know. Um, but we're going to keep reading in verses 5 through 6. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord comes down to see the city and this tower. And I think it's really funny that it says that because they build this tower, this like the tallest tower, in hopes that it'll be easier for God to come visit them. And God's like, I can't even see that. Like, what is happening down there? And he has to come down to visit, right? It's like this huge, great thing, and it's really not that great. 
So the city that was named for being um, the residence of the gods isn't all it's cracked up to be. It's not as big and powerful and great as Nimrod, the founder of it, and the inhabitants thought that it was. And so the Lord, the one true God, comes down to see this tower they're building. And this is everything that they hoped would happen, right? That God would come down and see this tower they're building and, and that he would be so pleased. But we see that as the Lord comes down to this tower, he isn't pleased with it. He says, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And so why is this such a bad thing? Why is building this tower disappointing for God? Why is he not pleased with this? Right? These people are together. They're in unity. They're building this city um, and, and trying to build their community. Like Those all sound like great things, but they wanted to build a name for themselves. He isn't pleased with it because since the beginning of creation, as we saw a few weeks ago, the very first breath of humanity, we were supposed to be different. We were supposed to serve the one true God, and God created humanity, and finally his creation isn't just good, but it's very good. And so when sin enters the world and humanity starts living for themselves in their own glory rather than God's glory and with God, we see that God's desire is for redemption and a return to Eden, right? A return to complete and whole and perfect relationship with humanity and God and also with humanity and each other, like humanity and humanity. And throughout the rest of scripture, we see this theme of God's jealous love for humanity. And humanity continues to try to be like those around them, to try to conform to the patterns of the culture around them. And in this case, it was building a tower. A.W. Tozer puts it like this, a man by his sin may waste himself, which is to waste that which on earth is most like God. This is man's greatest tragedy and God's heaviest grief. And this is what's happening once again in the course of humanity. They're returning to the sin of doing whatever they thought was good and right. They're forfeiting their identity as image bearer for pride and to be like everyone else around them. And God's like, oh no, right? God's plan for reconciliation for humanity and for relationship with them through the covenant he made for Noah is through and with Noah is falling apart. And God sees that humanity has this continuously broken view of who God is, right? They have this great unifying language, and they also have this continuous broken view of who God is. And so in God's loving kindness to protect the future of humanity, um, the eternity of humanity, he does something radical. And so we'll read on in verses 8 and 9. Then God said to Noah and to his son, wait, that's not the right one. <laughs> That was last week. Um, so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And so why did the Lord confuse the people's languages and scatter the people? How is this a selfless act of God how is this a selfless act of God's love? If you remember last week how we talked about Noah and this great flood, and it said every inclination of the heart was only evil all the time. People were doing whatever they wanted, 
whatever seemed right or good in their eyes, and it's the first place, the first time that we see decreation and recreation take place. And so God places a rainbow in the sky, um, making a covenant with Noah that he would never flood the earth again like he did. And so now we come to this story of the Tower of Babel, and we see that people are once again doing whatever they seemed right, doing whatever they wanted. They want to glorify themselves rather than glorify God. And because God sees that humanity is going down the same path that they did before the flood, God says something has to change. He says there's no hope for humanity if this continues. When we see that humanity's thoughts and plans were for the right now, they were for in the moment. They were like, let's make sure that we don't get scattered right now, right? Let's make sure that we build our name for ourselves right now. But God had eternity in mind. He has our best in mind. Right? And so as God scatters the people and confuses their language, rather than this being an act of an angry God doing whatever he wants and creating disunity, this is actually a selfless act of a loving God. As people are dispersed, diversity and nations come into the picture and now they have to rely on God and each other to move forward, right? If the goal is world domination and coming back into perfect worship and presence with God, if the goal is for heaven to touch earth as it did in the garden, God needed to preserve humanity's hearts and minds. And to do this, he needed to create some distance between the people. And so now as humanity moves forward in many different directions, rather than just eastward, we see the redemptive story continue and the ball moves forward once again and God is glorified. And as people keep, re keep producing and moving forward in all different directions, nations are established and we start to see God's heart for the nations, God's desire for there to be unity in diversity. And I love this because in Revelation, um, the author John sees this vision of heaven and he writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Right? All of these nations are represented in heaven. There's so many there that John can't even count them. And this is so beautiful, right? And so as we see these people get dispersed, we see the nations come into the picture and we see God's heart for the nations. And so still, I think that the question remains, what is the problem, right? Why do we do things for God's glory and not our own? They did what was good in their eyes, but what's the big deal, right? Like, what is the issue? The issue is not that they built a city or that they wanted to have togetherness and unity and to not be dispersed. The issue is not that they built a tower, but it's why they built the tower. They wanted to house their own deity. They wanted to take complete control. They were more concerned about what the other people and civilizations around them thought. They traded their identity for things that didn't actually matter. They traded the value of eternity for empty glory, and they traded eternal pleasure and joy for temporary glory. 
See, as we build our own glory, our own legacy, as we pursue like instant gratification, as we pursue building a name for ourselves, eventually it will all be for nothing. Eventually we will all leave JMU and Harrisonburg and it won't matter how many parties you might have gone to in your undergrad or what your social status was or if you got like a 95 instead of a 96 or any of that. Like it won't actually matter. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. So, I don't know some people. Paul, the author of quite a bit of the New Testament, writes in his letter to the Corinthians, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith to say to a mountain, move and it moves, if I give all that I am to the poor but I don't have love, I gain nothing. And it's because this is what is everlasting, right? Like what God um, has for us and the glory of God and, and God's love is that what is everlasting. It's what's going to make a difference. And so we saw that God came down to see the tower, right? Jesus is so much higher than we are, so much greater than we are, so much greater than we could ever imagine. And so we glorified God because our tower is never going to get there. Our tower is never going to um, give us everything we want. It's never going to satisfy us, right? We're just building sandcastles that wash away in just a few hours by the ocean, right? Like Jesus created those waves. Um, we do things not for the glory of self, but for the glory of God, because we're in the business of building sandcastles, but God is in the business, Jesus is in the business of building eternity, Come on. right? Because our kingdom doesn't last, his kingdom is eternal. The author of Ecclesiastes, he was, the most, he was the wealthiest man alive in his day. He was the most successful. Everyone wanted to be him. He was like, this is the image, the pinnacle of success. But he states that at the end of his life, all of it is worthless. It's a kind of a very depressing book because we read there and he's talking about these riches and these great things. It's, it's all worthless. He's like, it all means nothing. He realizes that living for those things are worthless because they don't last. And as he's facing eternity and realizing that nothing that he did in his life was really worth anything for eternity, he comes to the conclusion that living for the glory of himself is emptiness and worthless. But he also realizes that living for the glory of God is fullness and joy. And the tough part is that he realizes that at the end of his life. Right? At the end of his life, when it's too late to do anything about, and he had so many regrets. And so we have scripture, we have this, um, these historic events and wisdom literature and these stories so that we can avoid making the same mistakes. So that we can avoid the mistake of living for meaningless, empty, and broken things before we get to the end of our lives and regret it. When scripture tells us that every inclination of every heart was doing whatever, it was only evil all the time, and they were doing whatever they wanted to, whatever they considered right and good, the world was actually not in a great condition. But it says that uh, violence filled the earth, that people gave themselves over to destructiveness, and it was so bad. Things were going back to tohu wobohu, or complete and utter chaos. <laughs> tohu wobohu, that's a fun word. I've said it probably every day since Josh first came up with it, right? First shared with it. 
shared us with it. Um, but violence filled the earth. Things were going back to chaos. And so God had to do something to preserve humanity for eternity. And so as we read in this passage, people were going back to doing whatever they wanted, however they wanted. And so God had to do something that would preserve their hearts and their minds. And so today, this might look like partying every weekend. It might look like giving ourselves over to the hookup culture or idolizing our grades and social status or doing whatever it would take to build a name for ourselves. And I'm not saying that doing it well in school or having financial stability isn't important. I'm not saying that alcohol is bad. I'm saying that it isn't everything. And getting drunk and living for partying, living for um, your social status, living for your grades is not the end all be all. And in the case of Genesis 11, building the city and building the Tower of Babel was not a bad thing. It was the purpose of why they were doing it. It was the intention behind doing it, and it was the purpose of what that tower was going to be for. So I think a great question to ask before doing something is, what is this going to cost me for eternity? How does this impact my eternity? Mm. It's a word. That's a whole word. I'm like, man, yeah, what does this cost for eternity? And so why do we do things for God's glory, right? If it's so much better to live for God's glory versus our own glory, like why? I think there's a lot of reasons, but we're going to cover three tonight. So first, it's because God knows the end from the beginning, and we don't. God sees everything from the beginning of time all the way to the end of time, and he says, this is the way. He says, I know how you can enjoy life. I know how you can uh, live eternally, and he says, this is the way. In Avengers Infinity War, don't worry, I'm not going to share any spoilers if you haven't seen it, um, but Doctor Strange uses a time stone to see that the Avengers had a 1 in 14 million chance to beat Thanos. And so with God, he doesn't need a time stone to see the future, right? He does because he's God. He has our best in mind. And unlike in the movie Infinity War, where they're making decisions and they're guessing if what they're doing is the next best thing that will help them defeat Thanos and save the world, God literally gives us the answer to that. He literally gives us the answer to living for eternity, living eternally. Our odds of living eternally, to live, our odds to live our very best lives that we could possibly live are one in one, right? Like those are the odds because God literally gives it to us. He says there's one way to eternal life. There's one way to experiencing the glory of heaven here on earth. There's one way to making kingdom realities that is healing and forgiveness and God's transforming presence in our lives, our reality, and that's through Jesus. So we do things for God's glory because he knows the end from the beginning and we don't. All we can see is what's in front of us. All we can see is what the next best thing is, but God sees it all. So the second reason we do things for God's glory is because he is worthy. We saw in Genesis 1 and 2 that God created humanity with purpose and intention and in his image. And so we glorify God because that's the created order because he is creator and we are created. 
And it doesn't just end there. He is worthy because he's creator. He's worthy because he's perfect and pure. He is worthy because he is just. He's worthy because he is above all things and in all things. We sang that tonight, that he is transcendent. He is preeminent, right? He is worthy because he's the author of creation and eternity. So we glorify God because he is worthy. And the third reason that we'll talk about tonight that we glorify God is because God's way is better than our own. We see it in scripture and in history. We saw it last week. We'll see it this week. We'll see it next week. And throughout all scripture, we see that God's way is so much better than our own. The author of Job writes, which is Job, uh, <laughs> Job writes, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number? Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? The answer is no. The God we serve, the one true God, is limitless. There is no end to God. He does more wondrous things than we could ever imagine or dream of. Psalm 139 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We are fully known and loved and deeply valued by God. He cares about us and he cares about our future. He cares for you because he knows you. Isaiah 40 says, do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding no one can fathom. Even though we are not everlasting, we are not eternal, God is. And because he is eternal, he has no beginning and no end. He just always has been and always will be. He's not created, he is creator. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How wonderful is it that even though we don't know the end from the beginning, God does, and he reveals that to us as we spend time with him, as we are in relationship with him. In Romans, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor? How wonderful is it that God knows all things and he reveals those things to us, right? This is our God. This is the glory of our God. And this is why we glory in him and not ourselves. This is why we do things for the glory of God and not for the glory of ourselves. And so going back um, to our story about trying to find a house, we were so excited and we were searching and nothing seemed to be happening until the end of last summer. So Hunter and I decided, we we're like, okay, if we don't find a house by like the end of this summer, more or less, um, that it probably just wasn't going to be worth it to buy a house at this point because we'd only be here for a couple more years. Um, 
we're, it wouldn't be worth the investment financially um, because we're planning on pioneering in the next couple of years. So we wouldn't be here for super long. If anyone wants to join our team, go do that internship and talk to us about it. <laughs> and so um, the summer ends and we hadn't found a house yet. And we said, all right, this we're just not going to buy one. Like. This isn't what the Lord has for us. It's fine. I was a lot disappointed, but it was fine. Um, and so we decided um, that we were just going to, you know, wait, put away whatever money we were willing to spend on a house. Um, and we were like, we'll just save that for wherever we move to next until early that fall. So our realtor reached out to us and he was like, hey, like I found this listing and I think you guys are really gonna like this one. And so I didn't say this to him, but I was like, yeah, I'm doubtful, but like whatever, we'll just go check this one out. Um, this will be the last one. And so my hopes were so low. I was like, we're, this is not like anything, nothing's gonna come of this, it's fine. And so we go to this townhouse and as we pull into the parking lot, we're like, man, this was actually a perfect drive away from campus in the Morans, like it was the exact distance that we were hoping for, but we were like, okay, whatever. Um, and I was just looking for reasons why like this would just be the worst place and we shouldn't put an offer on it. And so we get out and like we walk inside and we're looking around and we're like, wait, I like, we really love this. Like I could see ourselves living here and um, I really love natural lighting. I don't like dark, I, I don't mind dark houses, but I just love natural lighting. And so we walk in and there's these like, um, French doors with all these windows. I'm like, man, this is good. And it's so sweet. And so we walk in and we're like, okay, we'll put an offer on this. And so we put in an offer. My hopes are still really low. I'm already too emotionally attached to this than I had hoped to be. But we, we put in an offer and we get a text the next day and our realtor said they chose a different offer. And I was like, great, this is what I expected. <laughs> I was like, my hopes dropped, but they didn't shatter because they were so low and so I was like all right we're not gonna look at anything else I was kind of sad I was like they didn't I was like okay my hope is still fine um, and so the next day our realtor texts us back and he was like hey do you guys still want this house the buyer got cold feet and backed out and I was like yeah, we do. And so I was anticipating we'd have to put in another offer, go through that process again, and then we'd see if our offer got picked. But he was like, great, I'll send over the paperwork this afternoon and you can sign it as soon as you're ready. And I was like, by signing it, do you mean like it's ours if we sign? He said, yeah, they chose your offer. And I was so excited. I was like, let's go. It was so exciting. And I was like, okay, God, look at, I see you, right? Like this wasn't our timing. It wasn't like... We, I definitely hoped that we would have had a house by then, but the Lord worked it out for us to have this home for his glory. And just like he worked out the story of the Tower of Babel, and just like he's going to work out your story too. You know what I'm saying? Like God is so good. And honestly, I love our house so much. <laughs> it's just such a great house. Um, if you haven't been, hit me up. I'll invite you over for coffee. It'll be super sweet. So we do things for the glory of God because he is so worthy, because he knows the end from the beginning, and because he deserves all the glory. So how do we do things for the glory of God? I think that first we have to um, recognize areas in our life that we are um, living for our own glory. 
that we're living in our own pride, and that as we recognize those areas, we have to ask the Lord to transform our hearts. We have to be willing to say, Lord, can you move in this place? Like, help me to, to just give this to you. Right? The Lord knows our hearts. He knows our motives. So why not ask him to reveal those areas of our lives that we need to give over to him? And secondly, I believe that we have to make the decision in our hearts and actually do something about it, right? Like we recognize it, we make the decision, and then we have to do something about it. It doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It, just ha- it doesn't just happen when it happens. We have to be intentional to declare in our heart, God, I'm going start to start living for your glory, or I'm going to start doing blank for your glory. And you can fill in whatever that may be. Right? But it has to be an intentional decision that we make. It doesn't just happen. Um, I don't love going to the gym. And Hunter, <laughs> a lot of times, will be like, hey, when are you going to the gym? And I'm like, oh, I might have time later today, maybe this week. I don't know. He's like, babe, you don't just find yourself at the gym. Like, you have to be intentional to go to the gym. I was like, he's not wrong. I haven't been to the gym because I haven't put it in my calendar. And so here we are. (laughs) Um, But we have to be intentional um, to do something about it. And so tonight, as we move into a time of response, and just Rachel can come up for now. I'll have the rest of the band come up in a minute. Um, But we're going to take some time to ask the Lord to reveal to us what is it that is our Tower of Babel? What are we doing for our own glory? What are we doing so that other people can see us as really cool and great people? What are we doing that's for our own glory rather than God's glory? It could be school or your major. It could be relationships and friendships. It could be spiritual practices that don't draw us closer to Jesus. It could be what you do on the weekends. But I encourage you to ask the Lord, what is it in my heart that I'm doing for my own glory? And as the Lord reveals these things to you, I encourage you to make the decision tonight to lay those things at the feet of Jesus. And maybe it is something that you entirely have to give up, something that just needs to go. But maybe it's something that you're, you just have to change your mindset on how you view it or why you're doing X, Y, Z. Right? And I think that we all have something in our lives that we are doing for our own glory. And so we're just going to take a few moments to ask the Lord to reveal those things. And I encourage you just to um, make that choice tonight. Like declare, God, I'm going to do this for your glory. So we'll just take a few moments just to sit in our seats and ask the Lord that question.
time of response, I encourage you guys that as the Lord has been placing things on our hearts to um, just make some type of movement, whether it is just kneeling before the Lord and um, saying, God, I, I'm going to start living my life for your glory, whether it's just holding your hands in front of you in an open posture of God, you can have this part of my life. God, this is for your glory now. But I encourage you guys to make some type of movement of whether it's kneeling or opening your hands or even just standing in a declaration of God, that, like my life is yours. Um, and just make that declaration in your heart. God, we just thank you so much um, for what you've spoken to us tonight. Jesus, we say that we're just so grateful for you. God, we're so grateful that, um, that you are worthy. God, we're so grateful that you see the end from the beginning. And God, that you want to... Um, have relationship with us, Jesus, that you want to show us the way that you have for us, God, that you want the best life for us, God, that you want us to live for eternity, to live in eternity with you, and God, that that can start right here and right now, God, that we don't have to wait until we pass away, we don't have to wait until, um, 
the rapture, but God, that we can enjoy your presence right here, right now, that we can be transformed by you, that we can um, see what a difference you make in our lives right now. So God, I just pray that as we um, get ready to um, go into fall break, God, as we get ready to just have this time to rest and to just enjoy and um, just release um, any stress that we might be carrying with us from this semester so far. God, I pray that you would be with us, Lord. God, I pray that whatever decision we made in our hearts tonight to live for your glory, God, would that start right now? God, would that start tonight, Jesus? God, that this fall break would just be so sweet and so restful because we have decided to live for your glory. And God, I just pray that you would help us to see how um, how you make a difference in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to see um, how you are moving in our lives and God, how your plans are better. God, that your way is so, so much better than our own. So God, we just glorify you tonight, Jesus. We say that you are so worthy of all that we are and all that we have. And God, we say that we love you. King Jesus, we worship you. We bless you. In your name we pray. Amen. Come on. And so as we close out the night, um, the band can go ahead, the rest of the band can come up. And as we close out the night, I can't help but be so excited for the future of this community. As we lay things down and commit to doing things for the glory of God, I believe that our friendships and our core groups will be so much closer. I believe that we'll be able to better partner with God to continue his kingdom here at JMU and around the world because that's what matters. That's what's eternal.